0: The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the 2018
1: Established Summer Training Project. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. Thanks
2: for sharing, Noah. I was also homeschooled. But I try to spend my whole life convincing people I didn't live under a rock, so thanks for undoing all that I've (laughs) been working towards. Is that good? How did that end up there? Actually, how many people in the room were homeschooled, just out of curiosity? Oh, wow. Howdy, hey. (laughs) Whoa.
1: Hello, hello. Alrighty, righty, guys. Um, so we, um, so yeah, we're we're gonna get started. Noah, thanks so much. I don't know where you went, um, but uh, thanks so much for that testimony. Um, it was really sweet to hear God working in your life. Um, so we, yeah, you want to bring that first slide up? So established from the beginning. Ann and I are going to be speaking. Uh, we are so. The, the way that this week is going to work, it's gender week. We're Tonight, uh, Ann and I are briefly going to talk about gender generally, just what the Bible says about it and how we think about gender based off of what we've read in the Bible. And then most of tonight, I'm actually going to be talking about masculinity. Um, and then tomorrow, we'll be in here again, and Ann will be speaking on femininity at that point. And then we're going to have a question and answer session. So that's a little bit of like, the flow for the next few days, just so you guys are aware.
2: So, as as we're speaking, if you have questions or things that you're like, I don't understand that, or I'd love to ask about that, you should write down your question because we'll actually do a Q and A at the end. So, yeah, you can actually ask that question to us. So.
1: Yeah, you can you can literally ask, and everyone will hear the answer. Um, so, some of you guys are probably wondering why are we talking about gender? Why are we using up a theme slot to? to talk about men and women and the differences? That's a good question. So uh, for, I mean, as long as campus outreach has been around, at least in Minneapolis, I think we've had relationships week traditionally during summer training project. And this year we decided to shift focus to gender for a few reasons. One is that gender is core to who you are in a way that a relationship isn't. Like you are, were born either a man or a woman and you will have that identity until you die. Whereas, ma- I mean, many, many, if not most of you are single right now, and even, even if you were to be married one day, that's ultimately a temporary relationship, and your gender is more core to who you are than a relationship is. So gender lasts your whole life, and that's why we think it's really important to talk about. And also, we think that gender gives a unique glimpse into the way that we relate to God and the way that we relate to one another, it, it helps us understand those things a little bit better and, and differently than just talking about relationships would. So we're, we're getting more to the core of who we are and we're gonna understand more about how uh, God relates to that, I guess. So, whoa. <laughs> um, God is uh, wants to show his glory through our different genders. We're gonna talk about that a little bit. and you don't have to be an adult or married or you know, in any sort of role like that for your image bearing to sh- and your gender to show some of God's glory. So that, that's why it's important to talk about. And I think there are two ways to talk about gender or think about gender. It could be diminished, and it could be viewed as unimportant that we're all equal regardless of our gender completely There's n- or uh, uniform maybe would be another word. And this is the leaning of our culture today. It wants to minimize the importance of gender. And then on the other side, it could be possible to view gender in a really narrow way and try to pigeonhole it and say, this is what it means to be a man, and this is what it means to be a woman, and it can't be anything different. And and sometimes churches can lean this way and even define gender more narrowly than the Bible itself. And what we want to do is paint a picture that we believe is biblical, that holds that God created gender intentionally and that there are differences and they're important and we need to think about them, but also that there's room to display God's glory in a way that's consistent with who you are and you don't need to conform to this arbitrary uh, standard of some sort of stereotype. So we wanna like kinda split, split the middle and, and not fall out on either side.
2: Yep, and an- another reason that we think it's really important is that God created gender. Gender was his idea. So, um, actually, could you bring up the verse, oh, wait, who's
1: controlling?
2: Oh. Me. Oh, thanks. Um, back one more. Okay, thanks. So, yeah, we think um, it's pretty clear in the Bible um, that gender is God's idea. So, if you look at this verse um, in Genesis 1, it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So, God created man in his own image. In his own image, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this verse is kind of confusing because there's a lot of different like he created man, he created him, but then it says male and female he created them. And so, if you look um, into the original language, it's a little bit more helpful. Basically, when it says so God created man, or when he says let us when it says let us make man in our own image, that man could be translated mankind. So if you read it, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. So mankind meaning all of humanity, not just male but male and female. So let us make mankind in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion. So God created mankind in his own image. In his own image, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So looking here, you can see, Okay, God invented this. And um, it's really important to know that when it says man, this verse is talking about mankind. And so what you can take from that is, wow, God created men and women in his image. So God does everything, everything that he does is for his glory. So we know that he created humanity to display his glory. Um, and humanity includes men and women. Um, so I think that another thing that's important when you look at this verse is to look at the idea of image. So let us make man in our image. It, s- it says that a couple different times, three times. Um, and I think it's, under- it's important to understand what the purpose of an image is. So if I have a painting of a friend, that would be weird. I don't know why I would. But if you have a painting <laughs> of a person, um, it's got a m- of one yeah, of yeah, you know. it's um, it's meant to show you what that person looks like. I mean, a better example would be a photo. That's a way better example than a painting. Um, if I have a photo of a friend, say that when Normal and I were dating, I had a picture of him in my room. That would be a visible symbol to show me what he's like. This is what Normal looks like. So that's true in painting, in sculpture, all of um when you would say this is an image of something, it's, it's saying this is meant to show me what this thing is like. So um, Michelangelo has his famous David statue. It's super tall, and everybody wants to see it. It's a very popular piece of art, and it's an image of David. And um, we don't have photos of David. We don't have, I mean, Michelangelo was very far away from David's time, but he's creating an image and saying this is m- maybe what he might have looked like. And so that's the purpose of an image. So if we're God's image, if God's saying, let us create humanity, let us create mankind in our image, what that means is that we're supposed to show something of what God's like. So, mankind, men and women, were created to show the world what God's like. So, a question off of this would be, why would he create two genders, then? If we're supposed to show the world what God's like, why would he split? (laughs) Why would he say, male and female? So, There's a professor at a seminary in Florida that a lot of us like. Actually, um, the place that Elisa's going. Um, Mm -hmm. Yep, and his name's Jim Cofield, and he talks a lot about gender. And um, one of the things that he talks about, which I think is really um, a really beautiful idea, is he talks about, okay, God is a God of paradoxes. God is a mysterious combination of lots of different traits. So he's just and he's merciful. That feels a little confusing because it says, He's merciful to you. He forgives your sins. But then just means you always punish sin. You do what's right. So that's confusing. So how can God be that and that? Or if you think about another paradox, um, God is mysterious and knowable. So he's mysterious. Who can understand his ways? How can you know the mind of God? But then also he comes to earth as a baby to show you what he's like. So is God mysterious or is he knowable? Well, he's kind of both. That's kind of a paradox. Um, Another one is he draws near to us. God comes after us, he pursues us, but then there's lots of texts in the Bible that are calling us to draw near to him. So wait, which is it? Does God draw near to us or do we draw near to him? That's kind of another paradox um, within God. And so um, Cofield, this professor, Jim Cofield, would, would say that he believes that the reason God created two genders, that when he was creating humankind to display his image, the reason that he created two different genders is because Each gender is supposed to show us a different part of who God is. And so if God exists in paradox, if there's two things that are both true of a person, um, both true of God, but feel conflicting, feel like they don't fit together, God creates men and women to show two different parts of who he is. So we really agree with him. We believe that men and women have so many similarities. We're all humankind. There's so many things which is kind of why a talk on men and women can almost feel kind of strange, because it's like, I can hear things in a talk about men, and I can be like, well, I actually really relate to that. And it's because we're all humans. There's deep things that we experience and things that we feel that are similar. Um, But we really do believe that God, that there are a lot of similarities in God creating men men and women, but there's really unique ways that they each, in different ways, display parts of who God is. Um, And we... We agree with him. We think that that's true. And so we think that God invented gender and that the reason he created it was to display his image in a really unique way.
1: So if you think about that, that's kind of an abstract definition of gender. It's saying that first you need to observe men and women and figure out what the differences between men and women are that are consistent. And... You have to note you know, the contrast in their behavior, their feelings, what makes them tick, what makes them flourish. You need to understand all those things, and you need to really understand God. You need to understand his characteristics, his attributes, and you need to understand which of his attributes are correlate to one another, or are paradoxical, or are complementary. So it's actually kind of a complex process to understand gender. Like, we're going to take a stab at it, but we, we could never claim to say that our, our talk is going to be exhaustive or say anything that there is about gender, even based on our own definition. We're just observing men and women and comparing them to, to paradoxes about God. So I would just say that understanding gender is the task of a lifetime. Um, it takes knowing people really well. It takes knowing God really well. It's not just a matter of we give you a verse or a few verses or a talk and you understand it perfectly. Rather... Um, it's, it's the task of its lifetime. It'll, it'll take time for you to really grasp even even just how this definition plays out. So our goal for this talk is not to holistically define gender in some sort of way that, that would answer every last question you have, but more so to jumpstart you in the process of understanding what does it mean that God made me a man? What does it mean that God made me a woman? And um, to think about those questions and see how your gender could reveal the glory of God. So um, that's, the, that's the extent of our joint talk tonight. Um, so I'm, I'm going to pray to that end, and then I'm going to jump into masculinity. So um, Heavenly Father, um, I thank you that, that you are our Father. I thank you that you are present with us in this very room, that you know every soul in this room, and, and you intentionally made each of us into men and women, and, and you have plans for how we would manifest your glory to the world. Um, so God, I just I just pray that this talk would maybe just be a small piece of the puzzle towards that end that um, all of us here would would know more of you and see more of our purpose of how we were made to reveal your beauty and your glory. and I pray that the rest of our lives would that would be the case that we would we'd show you off to the world with our gender so. I ask all these things in Jesus name. Amen. All right, so like I said, I'm going to be talking about masculinity. So I have a few disclaimers before I, I jump into things. So first I have a personal story. So I actually, I mean, I this is my 7th project. I was involved with Campus Outreach all throughout my 4 years of school. I mean, I was at like the very first event freshman year because my sister was involved that kind of thing. So I've been in your guys' shoes, I've heard lots of masculinity talks and gender talks and things like that and honestly, as a student, I didn't get the point in a lot of ways. I felt kind of unsatisfied in a lot of ways uh, with the the talks about gender. I thought, you know, why are we making such a big deal of the differences between us? I don't quite resonate with everything the speaker is saying and so if, if that were to be your response, I would totally empathize with that and understand that and I would just encourage you to, to hear hear me out over these two days, hear myself and Ann out and see if anything seems relevant or relatable to you. And hopefully you guys will be on a similar journey to me as you learn to value and understand your gender more. Um, and then secondly, uh, a point that I would wanna make is that this talk is gonna be addressed to men primarily. So as I was writing it, I I I couldn't get away, in a lot of ways, I couldn't get away from this burden to share with you men um, out there about masculinity, so it's addressed to you, but there's a reason you ladies are present, like, you are in view in this talk, and it is not a waste that you're here. For you to understand masculinity will help you understand femininity, and vice versa, like, uh, tomorrow, as all the guys hear about femininity, it'll help them understand themselves. So it's it's very important that we understand one another. And I really want you, ladies, to hear what I'm telling the guys. If that makes sense. So this is to all of you, but but kind of more directly aimed at the men. And uh, I I also would say that don't don't feel to ladies don't feel weird if this talk is beneficial for you. I could I could see how that w- might seemed like a strange thing like oh he's talking to guys but I feel like everything he said like rings true for me um but uh it that's totally okay like the goal when I was writing this talk I wasn't thinking how can I give a talk that no woman could ever possibly (laughs) like like I just feel like that would be you know an exercise in sexism at best so um I that's not my that's not my goal it's not in view for the talk like my, I wanted to write something that would be definitely helpful for men and potentially slash probably helpful for girls. So th- th- the I think that's the way these things work. It's not as though I can, you know, there's a pure men's talk that only pertains to men and has nothing to do with women or pure, you know, vice versa. It's, um, but more so, I think it's really important that the guys key in and and listen to what I'm saying. So um, those are my disclaimers. Let's jump in. So... I'll walk you through kind of my outline for today, and Anne's going to have a really similar outline with femininity, so hopefully it'll be easy for you guys to kind of track with what we're trying to communicate. First, I want to talk about what men reveal about God. Next, I want to talk about what goes wrong with masculinity, when sin enters to the world, how does it get twisted, how is it corrupted, and then I want to talk about how Christ restores masculinity, how he fixes it, and then finally, I'm going to close with some practicals. So, pretty straightforward, let's get into it. So, what do men reveal about God? I want to explain this, this statement. Men are designed to reveal the incarnational pursuit of God. All right, so that word incarnational refers to the incarnation. Jesus took on flesh. If anybody taking Spanish knows that carne means meat, um, and uh, flesh and meat are related, so that's how I remember that. But, um, uh, so Jesus took on flesh. And, and he pursued humankind. All right, so we're going to sing. Did anybody hear the band practicing before you came in? I mean, you, you were in here. Um, but, okay, so this, I was trying to figure out if this would be a spoiler or not. But we're going to sing Reckless Love tonight. Um, and uh, it, in, that li- in that song, there's a line that says, um, Oh, the reckless love of God, it chases me down, fights till I'm found. What's the next line? Yeah, you guys know it. So, um, and that's kind of the idea I'm getting at. Like that pursuit, that God comes after you. He, he chases me down. He fights till I'm found. He, he leaves the 99 and comes after me. That's the idea that I'm getting at. There's, there's no mountain you won't climb up. There's no wall you won't kick down. That's how God pursues us. Um, so this is a char- characteristic of God that men are called to reveal a- and display. There's something about our manhood that's supposed to pay homage to this and show the world this. Um, God sees our need and he comes after us. So we see this idea in the Old Testament. So look at Exodus 3, 7 through 8. I mean, just look at it on the screen. I got a lot of passages. If you flip to them all, we'll be here all night. But uh, I'll I'll just read it for you guys. Uh, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Like that idea that God is saying, I'm coming. Like I, I, see, your, I see your need, I see your situation, I'm pursuing it, I'm coming to you. Um, so this is, this is the, an example of God's pursuit to us. And here's another example. So this is Jesus. For, uh, Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost so a man came to seek and save the lost. Uh, he's he's on a search and rec- rescue mission. You know, I ha- I got this picture. This is a search and rescue mission, saving searching some people and saving them. Pretty simple. But uh, <laughs> uh I like it was funny cuz like I had heard the phrase search and rescue but I didn't really re- know that it referred to this situation. But um anyway, uh that's that's kind of what Jesus was to us. You know, whoever needs saving in this picture. I don't know if it's w- what dude it is, but uh that's what Jesus was to us. Like, we were in this dire situation, and he came to seek and save the lost. We were lost. He saw that we needed help. He moved towards our need. Nothing humanity tried was working. We could not get to God on our own. So Jesus had to make the m- first move, and he, he comes. He, he came to seek and save the lost. So Jesus didn't stand idly by when he saw our situation. He was not apathetic towards our situation. He, he got involved. He saw the situation. He took action. He he took on flesh, he came to earth, he suffered rejection, temptation, all with the goal of saving us. He he pursued humanity and through his death successfully made a way. He saw the mess, he got involved, he incarnated, he pursued. So you guys kind of get the idea, like like God comes after us, he pursues us. And men are meant to reflect this. So Jesus Jesus got involved, and as men, we are meant to do the same thing. We're meant to see needs and take initiative towards those needs to meet them. That's maybe, That might be good to write down. We, we are meant to see needs and take the initiative to meet them. God made us to enter situations, even if they're scary or painful or risky, and impact those situations for his glory. We're meant to have impact, to make a difference, to do something significant in others' lives through our getting involved and pursuing those needs. So this can... end when God does this, the world gets saved, you know, this is like, like when God does it, it's like a huge deal, when we do it, it looks a little less significant, so, so, but it's, it's still, it's a real thing, like, we are small pieces of the puzzle of revealing God's glory, so a little thing, like, if you walk up to someone and introduce yourself, and just to begin a conversation, because you think, hey, I want to love this person, this person maybe is standing by themselves, or lonely, or whatnot, and I'm, I'm coming, like, I'm, I'm pursuing, like, I, I see a, good for them and I'm going to make it happen. That's masculinity. Um, Maybe it's someone here on your campus who doesn't have a ton of friends and you say, I'm going to befriend this person, that's masculinity. Um, If you're in a group and somebody needs to volunteer for an unwanted or risky or unfamiliar task and you say, I'm going to do it, I see that need, I'm going to pursue it, that's an example of masculinity. If you see the riffraff in the parking lot out here and you see a girl who's about to go move her car, or even another guy who's about to go move his car, and you think, you know, I'm gonna save this person um, a potentially dangerous or awkward situation, and I'm gonna walk with them to to help them, you know, have (laughs) have a uh, companion as they face the (laughs) riffraff. That's masculinity. Something as small and seemingly insignificant as that is an expression of masculinity. Men, asking the ladies out on group dates and pursuing them and having a good time with them for uh, the sake of the, them feeling pursued and enjoyed. That's masculinity. So that, that's how we as men can reflect the pursuit of God. The, I see a need and I'm coming after it. But unfortunately that's not where, where things are at now. Something goes wrong with masculinity. We live in a fallen world and ideally we would, we would live in a world where we're focused on God and we reveal him through our pursuit of other people. But what has happened is we are sinful and because of our sin, we become curved in on ourselves. We focus on ourselves. And in, as, as we curve in on ourselves, what, o- what overwhelms us is fear. We're overwhelmed with fear. Through a focus on self, we become afraid of not being impactful, not being significant, not making a difference. And Anne and I are both going to share about the core fears of a man and a woman, and that's what happens when we were were meant to reveal God's glory, but we became self-focused, and the result was fear. So we'll both share on the respective fears of men and women, Um, and I'm going to focus on men, obviously, and I'm going to say that the core fear of a man is weightlessness. So you guys can write that down. What is weightlessness? Weightlessness is the feeling that no matter how I move, it won't be effective. No matter what I do, it's not going to matter. Another word might be insignificant. So I, I, I tried to think of a word picture, f- or uh, not word picture, picture picture for this um, to uh, describe this idea. And, I think men kind of have this desire, this urge to be wrecking balls, you know, and, and I don't mean that in, <laughs> in like a destructive sense, but in like, we want to make an impact, we want like, my life comes into a situation and it matters, like something happens when, when I show up, and I think there's, that could be selfish, but I think a lot of that could be good, you know, I want to make it, like the world's, there's all kinds of needs and issues in the world, and I want to do something to kind of make a dent in, in all this evil going on, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. But this is what we're afraid of. That uh, I don't know if you guys can see that. That's a teddy bear instead of a wrecking ball. Like, imagine like you know a, a teardown crew is trying to knock down a building, and and the guy shows, <laughs> pulls the crane up with uh, supposed to have a wrecking ball, and then you know this guy is is what they got. Like, he, they're not going to get a lot done. But that's what guys are afraid of. That's what we as men um, are afraid of. That you know we're going to show up on the scene, and our life's not going to matter. It's going to be May, may as well have never shown up, like that, that kind of thing. That's, what, that's our fear. Um, and these are the questions, these are the types of questions that a fear of weightlessness asks. What if I plan the group date, but the girls' room doesn't like us and doesn't have fun? What if I ask my roommate to read the Bible, and they just think that's weird? They don't want to do it. What if I talk to someone of the opposite gender, and it isn't welcomed, or it's uncomfortable, and it doesn't go anywhere? What if I tell a person about how their comment made me feel and they're hard-hearted towards me? What if I tell that person about their sinful behavior and it crushes them? What if I talk to my coworker about the gospel, but they reject me? See, so I I just gave like 10 examples from Project. Like there's, you know, a million other things that this affects, but it's just this idea that I'm afraid that I'm going to move, but it's just not going to matter. It's not going to make a difference. It's not going to produce the result that, that I have in mind, so we're afraid that we're, you know, teddy up there, and what happens is we experience this fear, but rather than going to God with it, we find coping mechanisms. We find ways to cope with the fear that we're feeling, and I think there's two categories of strategies for coping with this fear, and I'll explain them to you. All right, so... Two ways we cope. Okay, so. well, you might need to take over, bud. Okay, so the first way is avoiding meaningful action. And this is all the things that men just don't do. So we don't have meaningful conversations and instead we just settle for jokes and laughter and, and things that don't matter. We don't express our feelings to other people. We shut down and don't share our thoughts in their most raw form. We don't speak up on others' behalf if they're being bullied or teased or excluded. We don't initiate towards the lonely. We don't share our opinion. We don't plan events or group dates. We, we don't make things happen. We disengage from the world around us. We coast through our social interactions. We stop trying. We, we stick to a, t- a tight-knit friend group rather than venturing into other relationships. We avoid conversations with girls because it, they might be unfamiliar or uncomfortable. And this is, this is like how, this is one way of coping. Like I'm afraid I'm not going to, like if I move, it's not going to produce the result I want, so I'm just not going to move. That's, that's one way to cope with the feeling. The next one is... Um, doing things that that feel meaningful, but actually aren't. Um, so there's a lot of ways in life that you can, you can feel like you're having an impact, feel like you're making a difference, but you're really not. One would be controlling others, using aggressive behaviors to control other people and feel powerful, uh, refining skills that make us feel competent and in control. And I mean, I, I know a lot of you guys, I, I come from... I played sports in high school and things like that and this was this was big for me. It was like if I, <laughs> the nice thing about doing the triple jump in track and field is there is a literal physical measurement that that says how good I'm doing and if I can hone my skills and extend that how far I can jump, like that just makes me feel all the more competent and in control and um, I just want to say something to the athletes in the room, like that, that could be a struggle for you that that you think I don't feel impactful in my relationships, in my family, in my friends, and I'm gonna cope with that by feeling really impactful um, on the basketball court or the football field or the soccer field or whatever it is. Um, that, that's a way that guys can really do d- try to feel meaningful. Um, we can become addicted. Uh, a lot of, A lot of men struggle with addiction, and sometimes it's video games. Sometimes it's the idea that I can feel like I'm in a battle um, or feel like I'm, <laughs> you know, feel like I'm on the playing sports or whatever, but there's no risk involved and I, I just get the feeling of, of being competent and successful. And then lastly, I'd say um, becoming addicted to sexual sin, like feeling like I am validated, I'm impactful without any risk, without any real relationship. I can just go to the image on the screen and I just know that that's a huge issue in this room, um, just merely about the size of it, if nothing else. So um, that, that's how masculinity can go awry. That's, that's, that's how things get off the rails when we go to these other strategies to, to feel weighty, to feel impactful. But thankfully, that's not where God leaves us. We feel this deep fear of not being able to do what we're intended to do, and we find all these other strategies to cope with it but that's not where God leaves us. And this is where I'm going to spend most of our time is uh, in how Christ restores masculinity. So um, what I want to do in this section is, uh, you'll have to bear with me, there's a couple longer passages. We're going to do a lot of stories. Um, we're actually going to look at the life of Peter. Um, we're going to really, <laughs> not MC Peter, but um, Peter, St. Peter. But uh, we're, we're going to really... Uh, Key in on his life and look at his interactions with Jesus and look at when he denied Jesus specifically and see how that that explains that's that's a good example of how Jesus comes like uh, helps us become men again after we've gone after the fake thing. So, is the next thing the Luke passage awesome? Um, so this is this is a passage I want to talk about a lot. This is. Well, I'll just read it, and then I'll explain it. So, Peter said to him, that's Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So, in case anyone, any of you guys aren't familiar with the story of the Gospels, uh, Peter was one of Jesus' main guys. He was one of the 12 disciples. He left his whole life, his whole livelihood, to follow Jesus, and, but things got, like, pretty dicey around the time Jesus died. He, the the passage quoted above is right before Jesus died, and Jesus is telling Peter, like, you, you're going to deny me. Like, you, I know you want to, like, stick it out through the, to the end. I know you want to die with me and everything, but you're going to deny me. You're not actually going to be faithful. So, that and and what Jesus says comes true, like like Jesus or Peter denies Jesus. He he doesn't stick up for him, and um, we're also going to look at what happens after Jesus rises from the dead and then sees Peter again. So that that's kind of where we're going. So look at Jesus' words in verse 34 again. Uh, he says, "I want to argue that Jesus is confirming Peter's core fear. I think that might be, yeah. So." so Jesus is um, basically, Peter wants to be impactful, he wants to be significant, but Jesus is telling him like you're going to deny me like you you have all these goals, you have all this greatness that you want to achieve, achieve, but you're actually weightless like you're it's true like what you're afraid of is true, you are weightless you, you can't do this on your own so we need to back up a little bit and understand a little bit about Peter before we go any further. So I'm going to make this point that Peter wants greatness, which was just on the screen. You guys saw it. Um, so does someone want to read um, Mark eight thirty-one through 33 on the screen here? Awesome. Um, so you see how you see how Peter's mind works. Like Jesus is saying, "Hey, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna get beat." Um, and Peter hates that. Like he's like, "Jesus, no! Like that can't be it." Like he goes and rebukes him. Like can you imagine? Like a this is just a mere mortal rebuking the God of the universe. But he says, "Jesus, like no, you can't die. That that ain't it." And the reason why he's like that is because he's like, I, I gave up everything for you. Like, I left my job to follow you, and you're telling me you're going to go die? Like, how does that make any sense? And so Peter wants greatness. Like, he doesn't want the path of death. He wants significance and, and greatness. And then I got one more passage. Um, it's uh, Mark nine thirty three through 35. Uh, oh, boy. Oh, it's not there? Dang. Oh snap. <laughs> snap. Alright. Um somebody wanna read uh <laughs> it's it's the right passage. Right right, no, no, no but someone wanna read off the screen is all I'm saying. <laughs> awesome. Uh, So, so far we've had two times that we need people to read scripture and both times it's been a stein. I just want to point that out. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were homeschooled, so holla. Um, But uh, yeah, so this is like another example. Like, like the disciples are like bickering about who's the greatest. Like that's just kind of something they did, I guess. Like they, they really wanted to know who was the best out of them. So I just want to make the point that Peter's very interested in greatness. That's really key to who he is, which I think this is the next slide. That's not all bad, all right? So Peter wanted greatness, but it's not all bad. See, it would have been so easy for Jesus to say, like I think his response is so interesting. Like he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Like it would have been easy for him to say like, shame on you guys. Like, why are you talking about greatness? Like, greatness is, don't think about that. That's bad. Um, but that's not what he says. But it, on the other hand, it would have been really easy to say, well, you know, I think, I think James is, is pretty great, but John's up there too or whatever. Like, he could kind of, like, play the game with them and sort of, like, compare. But he says, like, I'm not going to compare. I'm not going to say that you're great in the way that you're thinking, but I'm also not going to throw it all the way out. I'm saying it's a good thing to want to be first, but if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all such an interesting response and he explains that the path to greatness is counterintuitive it's it's like holding onto a bar of soap if you try to squeeze it too hard it'll slip right out of your hands and I could spend a whole talk explaining you know what I think this means but for now just know that greatness exists Peter wants it and it's not that it's not a bad thing it's not bad that he wants to be great um, and this is really good n- news for men I think and this is a good news for Men like Peter who want to be great because men want impact. We, we want to be the wrecking ball, like like we talked about. Th- they want their life to count and to matter. So this is this, one, this is going to be a little skewed, but um, we're going to play a little game. So everybody, close your eyes and uh, picture a die-hard Star Wars fan. All right. Okay. Now, um, okay. So that's the first one, and then the second one. So keep your eyes closed and picture a die-hard LeBron James fan, all right? So you guys have, like, those two images in your head, all right? Okay, everybody open your eyes. Um, so did you picture a man or a woman each time? Man, th- most you guys, that's what I was expecting, is most of you guys would say, uh, man, you know, like, we got, I got a couple, maybe picture this guy. I, well, actually, yeah, yeah, peep that shirt. Um. yeah. I think either me or Karen has that shirt, but, um, one of us, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you picture a guy, and then, you know, like what, and then, you know, LeBron James fan, you picture a guy, it's like, why, why is it that almost everyone in this room thought of a guy stereotypically, like, associated with Star Wars and, and sports, and I think the reason why is because men are fascinated by tales of greatness, like, Star Wars is a story where, um, a hero and his, his band of friends, it's, them against the 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 whole world and life as we know it is on the line like that's a tale of greatness like if he if he succeeds that's that's amazing like we can tell that story over and over because it's so sweet and we we love story we love to you know we watch the nba finals we watch these great sporting events because what the what athletes are competing for is to have their their name written as champion you know for 2017-2018 season champion. Like that's what they that's what they want and that will never change. Like no one else will ever be the 2017-18 champion. I mean, it wasn't LeBron. Uh y'all know that. But um uh, that I think that men are fascinated by things like that. We're we're captivated by greatness. Um even like it, it's it's hilarious. So, I don't know if you guys um can read that, but LeBron James has tattooed on his arms, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Um and <laughs> And I, I showed this picture to Anne and she's like, Is he a Christian? And I'm like, no, he just like basketball's like a really big deal to him. Like he thinks that like, you know, it's like it's like uh that's a quote that should pertain to, you know, like saving souls or like sharing the gospel or something like that. But you know, he he's like, no, basketball is gonna echo in eternity. But like, you know, he just he wants that greatness and and men are captivated by stories like that. Um so Peter really wants this greatness. He wants impact. He wants to die for Jesus. Um but Jesus actually burst Peter's bubble. Um, So that's the next point I want to make. And then after that, Jesus burst our bubble. So you got the whole whole nine yards there. But um, so Peter was listening. You know, Peter was kind of like taking notes the whole time He he was following Jesus. And initially he was like, no, Jesus, you can't die. But then he heard that he kept hearing that Jesus was really insistent about dying. And eventually he gets to a place where he's like, you know what? screw it, I'm going to die. I'm going to die for Jesus. I think that's what's going to get me greatness. I think that's what what's going to do it for me. It sounds crazy, but I think that's what he wants, and uh, I think it's going to make me great. It's going to solidify my impact in this life. And and he has this idea that I'm going to be great if I can die for Jesus. Um, and he thinks he has it all figured out, and he probably is so proud to tell Jesus, I'm going to die with you. And he's probably shocked by Jesus' response. Jesus says, Peter you're not going to die with me. You're going to deny that you even knew me. Like, what are you thinking? You, you think that you can get this greatness on your own. You think you can have an impact. You think you can do this, but you're going to deny even knowing me. Like, how pathetic is that? And, like, Peter's in this world of confidence. Like, he, but Jesus makes him feel incredibly insecure. You're confident now, believing that you have what it takes to achieve this legacy, but I've got news for you. You don't. You don't have what it takes. You shouldn't be confident. You should be terrified. Your f- your worst fears, the fears that your own weakness would get between you and your legacy. That's that's fact. That's fact right there. That's true. You're gonna crack. Um, that's what Jesus tells Peter. It's it's shocking. It's jarring. He confirms Peter's core fear of weightlessness. Peter had covered it up with his self-esteem and self-confidence, but Jesus cuts through it, um, and tells him that he's gonna come up short. So that's how Jesus bursts Peter's bubble. Uh, he, he confirms his greatest fear and bursts his bubble and the reality is that that's how what Jesus wants to do in your lives he he wants to burst your bubble um <laughs> sorry say, I feel like this is like a really long point that's really negative but it's gonna get better don't worry but um uh I'm going to illustrate with a little story for my life um I am not the husband that I thought I would be my entire life like um I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh um the song you know I would walk five hundred miles and I'd walk five hundred more just to be the man that yep end up at the door, yep, um yeah it's it and that was kind of like I, like I would hear a song like that, and I think that like subtly in the back of my head, I was like, yeah, that's gonna be me, like um one day i'm gonna be the man with some you know lucky girl they're gonna get me, and i'm I' would I'd, I'd walk five hundred miles for my future wife, like um that was that was kind of like what I had in my head, like i'm gonna be the hero for some some lucky lady. Uh, you know, I just had this, like, pride in the back of my head, like, so arrogant, but, um, and and, and I thought, like, you know, we're not going to be that couple that's fighting all the time, we're, we're going to get along, and people who, people who have conflict in marriage, like, they're just selfish, you know, it's like, I'm not that selfish, like, this is going to work, it's going to be fine, Um, and I was kind of like Peter in that way, you know, like, I had this dream of greatness, and I was like, well, I've got what it takes to achieve it, I, I think it's going to be fine, and then then I got married, and Marriage has not gone that way. Um, we do fight. I'm not the man that I wanted to be. I'm not, um, I <laughs> told myself I'd walk 500 miles um, for Anne, but there's times in our fights that I won't even walk across the living room um, to, to get involved with, with conflict that we're having. Um, and Jesus has taught me through my many failures that my deepest fears are true, that, um, I, I'm not the weighty man that I wanted to be. I'm not, um, my, my whole life I, I thought that I could be, you know, that husband, and it just isn't true. It just, it's not in me. It's not, it can't come of myself, and I don't know what your guys' dreams are, um, but you need to know that on your own, you're not gonna have the impact that you want, um, I know you get, like, you're good guys. Like, I I know the guys in this room. You're not, like, you're (laughs) you're not scum. I like you guys. Like, you're good guys. And and I know, I'm sure you have great goals. Like, I'm sure you have, you know, like, goal. Maybe you desire marriage and a family. And you have these goals, like, I'm not going to be, like, X, you know, whatever male figure in my life. Maybe you grew up with a man or several men that were cynical or weak or shallow, or emotionally distant, or cold, or silly, or silent, and you've thought, I'm not going to be that guy, that's not going to be me, and I'm going to tell, I'm here to like just tell you guys like that's, you will be that person aside from Jesus, like guaranteed. Um, You're not going to even hold a candle to the impact that you want without Jesus, and you know, maybe it's not family, maybe you have aspirations for leadership in other areas. Maybe you want to be a leader in the church or a great evangelist or a leader in your workplace or maybe <laughs> you just want to come back as a room leader next year. Like, I don't know what your, what your <laughs> grandiose schemes are, but I'm just going to tell you that it's not going to be easy, it's going to be scary, and you're going to fail, and you're not going to get back up again without Jesus. Um, and then I would say that there might be a third category in you that in here of people that don't have any aspirations, to any kind of leadership. And I would just say to you, like, I implore you to wake up. Like, life is, the world needs your leadership. Um, you might not think that's true, but it is. And I would, I, I think there's so much joy for you to, to step up and, and aspire to some of those things. But all that to say, you know, it's like, it's not bad to want greatness. Um, Peter wanted greatness. That wasn't bad. But Jesus bursts his bubble and says, you can't get it on your own, and he bursts our bubbles and says, you can't get it on your own, but there's good news. Um, I mean, we like the gospel in campus, sorry, so there's always good news. Like, uh, So, and the good news is that Jesus entrusts us with impact. Um, so, Jesus entrusts us with impact. I'm going to talk about how Jesus restores Peter. So, uh, we looked at a passage where Jesus foretold Peter's denial. Let's take a really quick look at the actual passage where Peter denies Jesus, and then we're going to zoom in on Jesus' interaction with Peter afterwards. All right, so we're going to—you're going to have to bear with me. This is like a longer longer chunk of Scripture, but just try and stay keyed into the story. Um, does someone want to uh, read—I mean, it's like three or four slides, so it's a like big commitment, but— uh, Someone, Peter, you got it?
0: Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed at a distance. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man... Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times, and he went out and wept bitterly.
1: Hmm. Um, It's like sobering to read that. Uh, I just imagine um, the, the voice in your head telling you, just stand up, say what's true, say you believe in him. And he's shutting that voice down, and he turns and looks and locks eyes with the man that he's betraying um, and realizes what he's done and walks away and, and it says he wept bitterly. Um, so that, that's what happened. That, uh, just imagine what, what Peter's feeling. Just, just imagine that state, um, that, that complete weightlessness. You know, I had this whole thing mapped out, and I blew it. So just, just remember what Peter's feeling. Jesus dies that night, but rises from the dead a few days later. And that, this is actually where I want to focus. It's the very last pages of the book of John. It's kind of an epilogue in a lot of ways. And uh, Jesus had, it's his final interaction with Peter. So look with me at John 21:15 through 19. Um, I'll read this one. I, I ask you guys to read when I want to drink water, but I'm not too thirsty right now, so I'll, I'll just read it. Um, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you did not want to go. This is said to show by what kind of a death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. So let's, let's break this down a little bit. Um, Jesus knows everything. So why does he ask Peter if he loves him? And why does he ask him three times? And I think the reason is because he is drawing attention to the other event that just occurred that involved three things. I do see where I'm going with this. Uh, with his uh, denial. You know, like Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus is m- forcing him to face... That reality. He's saying he's making him reverse every denial, um, saying "I love you, I love you, I love you." But you can see Peter kind of getting flustered, like "Lord, you know everything. You know that I look Like he's like freaking out, he's like "Why are you making me say this?" You know, like that's kind of like what he's feeling. But J- Peter or Jesus made Peter look at his shame, look at his failure in the eye, so that he could see, you know, this is reality. This is who you are, Peter. You need to you need to realize that to really get what I'm going to say. Um, but notice what Jesus says. Um, he gives him a command. Isn't that so interesting? He says, after Jesus says, or Peter says, I, um, you know that I love you. He says that over and over again. Every time Jesus says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my lambs. Um, why would he do that? Why, why wouldn't Jesus say, I love you, Peter. I love you too. Or, Peter, it's okay. I forgive you. Or, or, he, there's, you know, there's so many things he could say. And those are true. Like, I, you know, Jesus certainly forgave Peter for these things, and we know that, that Jesus loved Peter very much, but he gives him a command, and, and why, why do you think he would say that? And as I thought about that question, I realized it was Jesus' way of telling Peter that he wasn't fired. Um, like, P- Peter had every reason to be kicked off the team. He had every reason to have Jesus have nothing to do with him ever again, that this great glory, this kingdom that Jesus was coming to bring, Peter lost his share. He he threw it away by denying Christ and and he leaned on himself he tried to do it on his own and it, it fizzled out but G- Jesus comes to him and says no you're you're still on the team like you like feed my lambs like you've got a you got a job to do i got i got a really important job for you and i just think that's that's amazing like peter doesn't deserve that and we as men don't deserve a mission we don't deserve to still be a part of God's glory, um, and I just love how this passage ends. So Jesus kind of gives um, Peter a sort of death sentence. Um, he tells him, "When you're old, uh, basically people are gonna do things to you that you um, you're, you're not gonna have control anymore, and uh, that's how you're gonna die." And John kind of spells it out for us. He says, "This is said to show by what kind of death he was to die." No, it does not say that. It says, this is said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Um, so Peter, this man that was obsessed and focused on glory for so long, but he was focused on his own glory. He was focused on himself and wanted his own glory. But at the end of the day, he still gets glory. It's just not his. He gets God's glory. He gets a part in God's kingdom. He gets a role um, in, in the biggest story. Uh, he gets... He gets to be a part of the, the greatest greatness. Um, and that's, what, that's what's offered to us as men. That's, that's how Christ can restore our masculinity. We don't have what it takes on our own. But if we lean into him and lean into his story and lean into what he's accomplishing in his glory, we can, we can taste that impact that we've always wanted. We can taste that, that glory. Um, and then the last thing I just want to point out is uh, that all this happens... Jesus tells Peter, follow me. Um, and that's how, that's how his impact and his glory will be realized. Um, and Jesus doesn't just uh, restore Peter, he restores us. All, everything I just said is for us too. We want our impact, we, want, we have our family goals or our professional goals or our spiritual goals or um, whatever goals you have you there's a way that you can do them that communicates god to the world and that's what's that's what you're really after that's what you really want but you're not going to be able to get there on your own and you're not even going to come close just like peter you need jesus you need him to make your life impactful for him you're a teddy bear on a string when you're supposed to be a wrecking ball and jesus can make you have an impact for his kingdom um And that's impact we were meant to have. So that's, that's kind of my, what, how Christ restores our masculinity. And finally, I would just say, uh, I just have some closing points some practicals um, to, to end us on. So, uh, and they all start with get. So it's super catchy. um, You guys will remember them for the rest of your life. So uh, the first thing I would say is get yourself. Um, What do I mean by that? So when I say get here, I mean, like, understand or know. Um, familiarize yourself with your core fears. Where do you feel weightless? What are you insecure about? Do you believe that God could use you? How could you cope? How do you cope with weightlessness? Um, those are all, all the kinds of questions that you need to wrestle with. Like, really think about those things. I don't know if some of you introverts, you got to go, you know, <laughs> crawl in the cave like me and journal for, like, four hours. And then some of the extroverts, like, you need to go out on the pier and talk to someone for, like, five hours. So, um, you know, like, whatever whatever it's going to take for you to, like, get yourself and understand yourself, go do that. Um, the second thing I would say is get Jesus through the Word. Um, don't be passive in your walk. Like, the Bible, I mean, Zach pointed this out, like, the Bible is how we know God. Um, it's how we see His glory, and being captivated by that glory is what's going to fuel your life to, to have impact in the way that God designed. Um, and, uh, yeah, so don't let project pass by waiting for Someone to ask you to read the Bible. Be that person that's asking everybody else to read the Bible. Like that's just a really clear practical to get Jesus through the Word. The next I'd say is get Jesus through prayer, um, and I really mean this. Like make it a habit to ask Him for help. Like there's there's so many little tiny decisions in our life that we don't even think to ask God for help in. Um, he promises wisdom to those who ask. Like we're, <laughs> we're a bunch of fools. Like we need wisdom. Um, he promises insight. He can make you bold and confident. He can give you words to speak. He's with you. Like, pray to him. Uh, And then finally, get involved. Um, Jesus saw our mess. He saw um, a situation that could be very painful and risky and dangerous for him. And he was not a passerby. He got involved. Um, There's so much life waiting for you. I don't know what conversation or relationship or family member or unbeliever you need to get involved with, but get involved. Um, reveal Jesus by how you get involved, you might feel like you don't know where to start, but that's kind of the point, like, it, this isn't something that's supposed to be spelled out, like, there's always risk involved in expressing masculinity through pursuit, like, part of it is, is the risk of it, and, but that said, I mean, just a few practicals, talk to girls, um, I know, it's, it's, like, the most, like, foreign crazy concept, like, that there is, but, um, and, like, I, like, (laughs) Literally, I need to grow on this. Like, have to, like, I'm, like, saying this and, like, making a joke, like, all the guys, like, talking to girls, and it's, like, I probably don't know, like, most of the girls on project. So, um, yeah, like, all these practicals apply to me. So, um, engage with all the students on project. Um, talk to people on your campus that don't know anyone. Plan group dates. Go on group dates. Don't worry if they're going to suck. Just do them. What are the needs of campus outreach on your campus? Uh, figure out what those are, are, identify them, meet those needs, pursue them. Those are just like, that's, that's what it looks like to get involved. Um, so, uh, that's all I had. I mean, next we're gonna, um, so f- we're, we're not gonna have a reflection time quite the same as we normally do for Theme Talk for um, today and tomorrow. Uh, we're just gonna go right into worship. So, um, yeah, uh, Zach, if you wanna, yeah, I'll, I'll pray. And, and this one's going up. Um, uh, I'll just pray real quick. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, I thank you that you pursued us. I thank you that there is um, no mountain you won't climb up to get to us. I thank you that none of us would be here if you weren't after us on some level. So I just thank you for your pursuit. And God, to pray for the men in this room that fear would not keep us from making that pursuit felt and real. And uh, I... Um, I pray that for the women in this room that um, you would help them to, to understand their own femininity and, and reflect on um, the talk in a way that would be helpful for them and edify their brothers and um, all those things. So, God, I, um, we need you. Lord, we, we need Christ to flow through our lives. We, we're weightless. We're um, insignificant without you, but we can taste your glory and significance. And God, I just pray that that would um, be the story of our lives. So I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem
1: Baptist Church, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at clminneapolis.org.